0: You are listening to the Health Essentials Podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. My name is Cassandra Holloway, and I'll be your host for this episode. Today, we're broadcasting virtually as we are practicing social distancing guidelines during the coronavirus pandemic. We're joined virtually by psychologist Dr. Scott B. Dr. B, thank you for making time to speak with us, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me, Cassandra. Love being with you guys.
0: So if 2020 has given us anything positive, it's the fact that we're starting to openly talk about the importance of taking care of our mental health. So today we'll be talking about what we can expect and what we should know about seasonal affective disorder, also referred to as SAD and also called seasonal depression, and how this condition is colliding with a global pandemic. We'll discuss why this year is different and what we can all do to protect our mental health. Before we dive into the podcast, we want to remind listeners that this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own doctor's advice. Also, please note that this interview was pre-recorded and does not reflect any changes to COVID-19 precautions that may have been made after the recording. So Dr. B, I imagine you've been quite busy the past several months dealing with COVID-19 and helping people manage and cope, especially with mental health. So I want to first start off with asking you how you're doing with everything going on.
1: Uh, it's a great question to start off, Cassandra. I would say I'm busy. Every uh, behavioral health expert that I know is busy, but it's ordinary busyness. There's only one of us typically, and uh, you know we're happy to help people out. Uh, we kind of take them in sequence, and we really appreciate the value that people are putting on their mental health and behavioral health services.
0: Absolutely. So there's lots unpack with this episode. So I want to start off with the basics. What is seasonal affective disorder? Seasonal
1: affective disorder, or what we call seasonal depression, is a very specific form of depression that begins characteristically at the onset of fall months and really reliably dissipates by the time spring months roll around. Uh, it's a condition that has many characteristics in common with other forms of depression, but some additional ones, real tendency to feel very sleepy, sluggish, low energy, a tendency to crave carbohydrates, gain weight maybe display some irritability as well.
0: Is it more prevalent in a certain age group or demographic?
1: Indeed it is. We find that it happens in younger adults, more so than older adults. It happens more in females than males, about four times as many women will experience seasonal depression as males. We also know that it occurs much more commonly in individuals in northern latitudes, that is the further you get away from the equator, the more likely you are to have it, folks in Florida are a little bit more protected, those in New Hampshire and where we're at in Cleveland, a little bit less so.
0: Yeah, unfortunately up here in in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, when the sun doesn't shine that much, we're really more prone to it. Exactly. What about, you said, you know, some of the symptoms were, you know, feeling tired, feeling, you know, sleepy, weight gain, um, craving those carbohydrates, what other symptoms might people experience?
1: Some of the common symptoms of depression, they may have a sense of worthlessness, helplessness, they may find it's hard to enjoy things they might more typically enjoy, Uh, there can be changes in sleep and appetite. Uh, We can find people having suicidal ideas as well, a more severe uh, form of depression uh, will often lead to those sorts of thoughts. So all the common characteristics of depression, a subjective sense of sadness can accompany this as well, and really a feeling like I don't want to do much of anything.
0: I think it's really interesting. You mentioned that it's really more prevalent in younger people, which, you know, as I was doing research for this, I thought it'd be more prevalent in older people. What about children? You know, obviously people are really struggling in general right now because of the pandemic. Is it typical to see seasonal depression in kids?
1: You would maybe see it more in older adolescents, a little bit less so, in younger adolescents, and it'd be pretty negligible in us small children, but nevertheless, in the era that we're in with the pandemic, kids are suffering. We know the depression is exploding across the board almost three times the rate as it might be ordinarily, and it's definitely affecting teenagers as well. Their lives are, like the rest of us, very constricted. They're constrained from doing things that they most... Uh, typically would be doing, and particularly they're missing their friends.
0: So why does this actually happen? You know, why do darker days and colder weather lead to an increase in these depression symptoms?
1: Well, we have some good hypotheses about that. It's always being researched. We do believe that exposure to light, actually getting light into our eyes and on our retinas, uh, makes a difference. If we don't get much of that, if we're having dark days, cloudy days, daylight, very short Uh, we think that we may be producing certain chemicals in our brain particularly melatonin some in the audience may know that melatonin is a sleep producer if we're producing more of that chemical in our brain we may show that characteristic kind of hibernation quality of wanting to sleep wanting to eat to eat more carbohydrates to gain weight because of sluggishness There's also a serotonin hypothesis. That's another chemical in our brain that we think has a responsibility for helping us uh, enjoy more favorable mood states. We think that there may be some suppression of the supply of serotonin in brains as well. Uh, Always being researched, and I think we'll uncover some more answers across time.
0: Especially this year, as it collides with a global pandemic for sure. goodness,
1: yeah. What a tough uh, confluence of, of difficult stressors.
0: So let's get into that then. Why is this year different compared to other years? You know, should we be concerned about people, more people suffering from seasonal depression this year?
1: It's hard to know whether we'll see more people experiencing seasonal depression. I think what we will see is that individuals that experience seasonal depression might have an intensification or a worsening of their symptoms this year. There's actually some research going on at the start of the pandemic on seasonal depression in Vermont. And individuals enrolled in that study actually showed some worsening of their condition uh, at the start of the pandemic. So I think we could hypothesize that we're going to see a a bit of this in individuals prone to that. And as I said before, we're seeing very high rates of depression. It might be that some individuals who experience a lower level of that diminished mood uh, in the winter season, what we might call the winter blues, those people could cascade over into a more significant depression. It may be that... We, we see more people experiencing some of those symptoms. So whether it is uh, you know, to the level of an absolute seasonal depression, it's hard to tell. Uh, I know people are investigating that.
0: Do you think that the pandemic will kind of prolong that seasonal depression kind of timeframe? I know you mentioned it starts early fall and goes to about early spring. Do you think maybe it'll go kind of longer into the early spring or to the late spring, I guess?
1: It's hard. It's hard to absolutely know. I, I think it will be interesting to watch how people fare this year. It may be different. Uh, we may learn a few more things about seasonal depression as a result of that. I think culturally, people are worn down. We talk about COVID fatigue. That you know, people have an interest in resuming the life they remember, and this is acting on us all uh, as a culture. So uh, it's hard to know absolutely what the outcome is going to be for people who are experiencing depressions right now. I think once the season lifts, many will start to feel a little bit better. I think once we have good answers for the pandemic, a lot of us are going to feel an awful lot better.
0: Absolutely, for sure, and I feel like it's just a another thing with COVID that we just don't know enough right now, and there's lots of research, and healthcare providers are working really hard to help us figure this out, but we just don't know enough right now.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of Mystery. We are uncovering and unfolding a little bit more on the medical side, certainly more on the behavioral health side as well. And I think there will be some positive outgrowths as a result of this era. I think we'll have a better understanding of humans, human beings, and how to treat them not only physically, but also emotionally.
0: So kind of along this thinking, but on the flip side of this coin, instead of seeing an increase in people with seasonal depression, is there any reason to maybe suggest that the pandem- pandemic will actually help some with seasonal depression with less traffic or less work meetings or even, you know, mm-hmm. less holiday parties? Um, kind of what are your thoughts on that?
1: It's interesting. I was uh, talking to another news agency and the reporter had found two people who are actually feeling that Their seasonal depression was better this year. And what they credited was habits that they developed before the season changed. That as part of their adjustment to the pandemic conditions, they started to exercise. They made friends with virtual technologies and meeting with other people and creating social connections in this way. And they credited that habit shift before the change of seasons for being protective. There may be people who also find some relief of tension in the holiday seasons. If I don't have to shop as much, if I'm not as uh, in a forced march uh, through various gatherings, uh, some might find this is a little bit protective. There's maybe some who don't like the holiday season at all and they'll be spared some of the tougher parts of that for themselves. So I think there will be a few variations on uh, seasonal depression in those instances. I think those will be exceptions rather than the rule, however.
0: So I think it's interesting kind of talking more about the holidays. You know, this year has been funny because I feel like people have been decorating really early and uh, people going all out on kind of the decorations and being festive because, you know, what else are we supposed to do? Let's look forward to something positive. But I want to get your thoughts on how you think, you know, the holidays will play into seasonal depression. Are we setting ourselves up up for more post-holiday blues or you know, do you think that people will just be really excited and happy about it and it's something to look forward to?
1: Well, I think if we can keep our expectations really modest, there's a much greater chance we'll be delighted. Uh, expectations are the one thing we can adjust. Uh, and if we if they have really kind of reasonable or kind of low expectations, we might be delighted. If our expectations are really high, there's a good chance we could be disappointed. I don't think there's any harm in doing things that we know help our brain feel better. So if it's decorating or going uh, the extra mile on uh, some aspects of a holiday meal that we plan, maybe in a really safe environment. There's nothing wrong with that. At the same time, I would not encourage people to expect this year to be like other years. I would be open to change, uh, to seeing this as somehow different, not necessarily in a particularly bad way, just different. And if we can somehow be accepting of that, I think that will be protective of our emotions. And we all have a good interest in protecting ourselves uh, physically and emotionally. Right. Now.
0: I love that. Yeah, making sure you just manage your own expectations. You know, it's it's easy to be like, oh, I can't wait for the holidays. It's going to be so great. It's it's the best thing that's happened in months. But I think like you said, kind of keeping everything even and really being realistic about things is is great advice.
1: Yeah, if we can be open to how it unfolds rather than predicting how it should go, I think we're going to be in much better shape.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the um, courses of treatment for seasonal depression. Um, what does that look like?
1: One of the simplest and pretty effective forms of treatment is light therapy. Uh, this is pretty simple. It's not real expensive, usually a one-time expense to buy a therapy light. This is a very bright light, needs to shine at 10,000 lux. they easily available from online retailers. And it does require that an individual sit with that light shining on them and getting into their eyes for about 30 minutes every day. You have to be pretty faithful and committed to that dosing with it, very few side effects. And we know that it helps approximately 70% of individuals that are diagnosed with seasonal depression experience an increase or boost to their mood and uh, diminished symptoms of the condition. Uh, Beyond that, many other options. Psychotherapy is really effective for people. Uh, Common forms of therapy might be things such as cognitive behavioral therapy where we're really trying to change attitudes and behavioral choices and get people involved in moving their bodies, scheduling activities, in blocks of time, committing to those schedules as a way to stay engaged outside of your brain where some of that misery is happening and also medications can be very useful for individuals suffering from seasonal depression commonly antidepressant medicines something called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors particularly are known to be useful in protecting people more than anything uh, behavioral health and mental health practitioners really want to help and we're really excited for people to make use of our services
0: I like how you said earlier when we were talking about how some people with seasonal depression or who have been prone to seasonal depression might be feeling better this year because of some of the habits that they formed earlier, you know, when lockdown and the pandemic first started. You mentioned exercising and moving your body. What are some other healthy habits and kind of those basic wellness tools that we can use and practice?
1: Social connectedness is certainly one of those things that keeps our mood up. Now, we have some challenges. We're not getting together in big groups or uh, going to big gala events. Uh, All that we're restricted from. But I think it's important to make friends with the technology of the day, just like we are doing here. And instead of calling these get-togethers virtual, I would say this is the real thing. This is really how we connect and programming that into your day. Maybe having a list of people that you want to contact with some routine and maintaining that. One of the symptoms of depression is the tendency for withdrawal from social contacts. So cajoling ourselves to maintain those contacts can be critical. And I mentioned this earlier, this doesn't have a lot of appeal on the surface, but it is a known biological treatment for depression. If we schedule a day's activities in blocks of time, and ideally if we do it a day in advance, we know what we're gonna be doing in specific blocks of time the following day, If we wake up, we can commit ourselves to those activities. The gift of that is that the mind is not grinding on itself. Depression is a very inward condition where we're singing a pretty unhappy song, reminding ourselves of all the things that are wrong with ourselves, with the world, with the future. And rather than doing that, we can become engaged in the real moments uh, of activity. And when we're doing that or when we're speaking to another individual, you know that engagement is liberating. We do not feel, you know, that low mood. Uh, if you and I are just involved in this conversation, Cassandra, it doesn't feel like either of us are working. We're just conversing. We're a little outside of self-awareness, and that's often where people go to feel good.
0: Sure. I love that idea of scheduling your days out. So I want to talk more about examples of that. So would you kind of give this advice to patients that, you know, you say you're going to get up at the same time every day, and then maybe you work out from six to seven, and then you work from eight to two, then you take like a 20 minute reading break. Is that kind of what you're saying of of scheduling kind of hobbies or, or things out?
1: Yeah, like I say, it doesn't sound real appealing at the outset, but yes, brains and bodies love rituals. And we're more apt to do things when we can commit to them. So the schedule can help us with commitments. There's uh, something called the rule of opposite action that is often offered as a treatment in depression, which is do the opposite of what you're feeling. So if you feel like staying in bed, get out of bed. Now, if that's on the schedule, you would also schedule things like hygiene and get in the shower and nutrition, then go eat breakfast. And then maybe engage in a work effort for 45 minutes, maybe followed by a 15 minute break to talk to a loved one. And it can be a compassionate schedule, It doesn't have to be a work grind, it can include moving our bodies, good nutrition, socialization, maybe involvement with hobbies, reading, listening to music, all those things. But when we're in that activity, if we're having intrusive thoughts, if all I'm doing you know, is list watching a favorite television show and I have an intrusive thought, oh my gosh, what about the dishes? The dishes aren't on the schedule yet. I'm free to just stay with the thing that's right in front of me. So it liberates me from you know, my own thoughts and the intrusive thoughts that
0: often are part of
1: depression.
0: I love that and it really makes you be in the present moment and be mindful about what's happening right now or this hour.
1: That is really the goal. The goal is to keep you engaged in what's really happening since, again, depression is often coming from our thoughts about things, not the thing itself.
0: So you mentioned the therapy lamp and kind of getting those levels of, of light into our eyes. What about the actual sun? You know, what about taking a walk and just kind of that, you know, regulating, you know, your 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 wake sleep cycle? And also, what about vitamin D? I know kind of those two things go hand in hand.
1: Getting out in the sunlight is great. Anytime you can spend out in the daylight is super. In Cleveland, uh, folks that live around here know it's pretty gray, so it's not easy to get light on yourself and particularly on your extremities, but any opportunity to be outside is good. Any light getting into our eyes is good. Vitamin D, I mean, uh, in the area we're living in, it's very common that we're a bit depleted in vitamin D. I really think it's smart to get a look at vitamin D levels with your physician. If you're depleted, it's good to supplement that, I believe, but we can't look to vitamin D necessarily as a A good treatment or cure for seasonal depression necessarily. I think we have to look at some of the other options there.
0: I want to switch gears for a minute and talk about OCD and the pandemic. So we know the pandemic has taken a big toll on people's mental health in general, Mm -hmm. but what about those suffering from OCD? You know, particularly if they were a little bit of a germaphobe before the pandemic, or maybe they're just really up in their heads, disinfecting everything like crazy, and, and they can't really kind of be in the present anymore. Um, what advice would you have for people suffering from this contamination OCD?
1: It's really a difficult time for individuals with that specific condition. It's a large part of my practice. And I'd say even those of us that intervene with individuals with this form of OCD are trying to modify the way we approach it. Not only are they a- avoiding, they're, they're often not going anywhere. Uh, and uh, if and when they do, or when loved ones are going out, they're frightened, They're offering advisements to their loved ones on uh, social distancing and mask wearing and sanitization. And I I think this is a time where we're not going to necessarily make a lot of headway at suppressing hand washing as a behavior, but we might try to limit it. We might try to limit it just to the advised 20, 20 seconds of hand washing is advisable. And we're really trying to help people to live in those. Uh, kind of parameters of safety, but not so much so that it's creating tremendous interference or it's preventing, you know, ordinary interactions. It's really a tough time. We can't enact all the things that we would like. It's funny, I've done a podcast on OCD, and when I look at that and the suggestions we make about exposure and ritual prevention, let's expose you to things that shake up your brain and create anxiety and prevent you from ritualistically, you know, getting rid of that. Uh, that podcast sounds a little barbaric in the pandemic era right now. So we're modifying those practices a little bit. My heart really goes out to these individuals. There is professional help. You want to modify the symptoms as much as you can to reduce the interference. And once again, living presently, you know, noticing thoughts as just thoughts. Being in the real moments that we're living is also a very valuable component of treating folks with OCD at this time.
0: Absolutely. And I imagine there's some sort of spectrum when we talk about contamination, OCD, people who it's it's kind of in their life, it's kind of affecting them all the way up to people not leaving the house. So it's kind of where do you fall? And then like the things that we talked about in preventing it and treating it, what can you control? What can we schedule? You know, what can we take care of?
1: There is no doubt there's a range of severity, you know, in the condition. There are people that are struggling emotionally, but they'll function. Uh, and they do it with great courage. And there are others who are really debilitated by it. And again, we, we'd like to help all of those folks as much as we can.
0: So still talking along the lines of general mental health here. As COVID cases you know, continue to surge, there seems to be some negative stigma around testing positive for the virus or disclosing the fact that you were positive at one point. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's an ordinary human sentiment. I think this is a really tough, virus. Uh, We know people have lost their lives. And so that reflexive sentiment of shame uh, or embarrassment or guilt is pretty common. I will say this, as the numbers grow and as more people are experiencing this, I think there's a slight normalization of it. People are a little less ashamed, although the thought of transmitting it or injuring another is still pretty difficult. And if it is leading to really tough sentiments, I would encourage folks to get professional help. Uh, I'm certainly speaking with many individuals who have had or actively have the virus. There is a range of, of that concern, how much shame or embarrassment uh, one might feel. And you might be surprised that some feel relatively little. It is just as it is uh, in their way of thinking. So it depends on the individual. It's not out of the norm at all to be having these feelings and they can be really inhibiting uh, disruptive sorts of sentiments often coming from our childhood Uh, and we'd like to help people in some ways grow in self-acceptance and self-compassion it's actually a big deal in psychology and psychotherapy these days accepting our humanness you know no one intentionally goes out to uh, get the virus and if that happens to an individual we'd, we'd like them to not beat themselves up. It's tough enough to have the virus without really, really tough sentiment on top of it.
0: Yeah, you're right. There's so many issues and and just that shame and the embarrassment or the guilt of it. You know, We really need to take steps to kind of limit that and get it under control. Absolutely. So the last thing I want to ask you about here um, is kind of just your general advice to someone maybe listening to this podcast who might be worrying about seasonal depression, or maybe they're listening to it and they're starting to think, you know, oh gosh, my mental health's not in a good place right now. What parting advice would you have for these listeners as a friend and also as a psychologist? Uh,
1: We want individuals to reach out to us we absolutely want to assist and yet the thought of going to speak to somebody you've never met to self-disclose things that are personal can be pretty scary i would say you just have to behave courageously Uh, there's no way sometimes to get around uh, the tough feeling or the sense of not knowing or uncertainty but help is available and what i think people will find is the encounter they have with somebody in behavioral health is one of the safest places to be. And this is something that people can't calculate if they've not experienced it before. I would encourage people to take that risk. Courage is being a little frightened and doing it anyway. So I'd say stop through the fear, behave with some courage. There are definitely uh, wonderful things that we can mobilize, that people can do for themselves, that become their own. Uh, then uh, that they can use not only now but for the rest of their lives. And we actually do want people to develop coping strategies that they use now and forevermore.
0: And with telemedicine and virtual visits becoming more prevalent, I think you know this is this is the the time to reach out because you don't have to travel to a an office. You can do your visit in the phone, in a video. There's help readily available to you.
1: We come to you. Uh, what could be better? Uh, You know, before the pandemic, I had done a handful of virtual visits and I didn't know exactly how I felt about them. And then all of a sudden, it's what we did all the time. And it became very ordinary. And I wondered what kinds of alliances could we form with individuals through this technology? And they're absolutely solid. Uh, At this point, I don't see much of a distinction uh, between having somebody in my office. Now you have to find a confidential space. I will say I get to see, more pets in uh, people's households uh, than I ever imagined as part of this role, but it is exciting that we can come to where the folks are at, but they do not have to come to us.
0: That's wonderful advice to end on. Dr. B, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight. We really, really appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Sandra.
0: For the latest news about COVID-19, visit clevelandclinic.org coronavirus. If you want to listen to more Health Essentials podcasts featuring experts at Cleveland Clinic like Dr. B, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from or visit clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts. Also, don't forget, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic, all one word, to stay up to date on the latest news and information about coronavirus as well as your own health and wellness. Thanks again for listening.